How many people want to kick some ass? All right, I will do my very best to keep this lighter than it potentially could be. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Because it's a plotty again, movie, you know. <laughs> it, is a plot, it is a plotty movie. but Probably it's, to its detriment. I but. feel like <laughs> it's a plotty movie, but not in a way that you can't just kind of go like, here's the three minutes of concentrated plot that they do, and then here's the ten-minute fight sequence that they use to fill in the gaps in yeah, between it. Like, the plot is all over the damn thing. We're going to just call that the, the beginning of this episode. Welcome back to Enthrillot.com. This is Kiki Punchyman, episode two, The Raid 2. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by the brain behind all of this podcast that's stupid. Ben, how are you? How do you feel? We've, we've discussed one Raid movie. How do you feel about your creation of this podcast? I feel good. I'm excited to talk about something that's so much... <laughs> Like, I'm not having to think of thematic reasons for why these movies are good and instead can just... We're not talking about generational trauma anymore. We're talking about... <laughs> Do you think this person is this person's type? So yes, this is The Raid 2, called Berendal in Indonesian, which means thug or scoundrel. Bad person, basically. So I logged this movie on Letterboxd and it came down a half star from my single experience of watching it in the cinema. Yes. Like, I don't think it's a bad movie by any stretch. It just no. came down from a, a four-star movie to a three-and-a-half-star movie. Mm-hmm. It's still one of my, like, top 15 movies of the year I saw it in. You have had a go at me, and then I've had two <laughs> other people have a go at me for, like, my rating of this movie since. One person literally texted me and said, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and then someone else very passive-aggressively posted reviews of both Raid movies and was just like, Raid 2, function perfect i'm like right look i reacted with anger in the moment it was a heated outburst i don't want to fight you i am older and wiser now in this time of podcasting i want to have less arguments and more just let's both say the things we like about it and agree to disagree i think this movie and i I think it's a real shame that i've got this issue for both the final currently movies in these two series is that Mm -hmm. i think there is a technical proficiency to both of them that is astounding i think the best fight scenes in both movies are in the most recent features of them both i just think they get too focused on <laughs> plotty stuff when it's not what's interesting at all. Right, here is what I will say. For me, these are 1A and 1B. I believe The Raid is objectively a better executed movie than The Raid 2. I think The Raid 2 comes with an awful lot of caveats, but not objectively. I just prefer it, and like I am willing to overlook the things that I acknowledge are flaws about it, and I fully understand why you would prefer the first to the second. That is my mature response to your <laughs> ranking. Oh no, I think I very much thought going into this that it would be Raid 1 was my number 1, Raid 2 was my number 2 and then the rest of the movies after that and I can 100% see why someone is able to go just kind of lean back and go this the Raid 2 is everything that I need, like the plot is a B movie at best but <laughs> I'm the thing that made me actually have it come down half a star was a movie that you made me rewatch, and that's The Departed You think this is not as good as The Departed? <laughs> yes Okay, but just just in terms of what that movie does with well, a very that movie sub- is very much trying to pin it all around powerhouse acting performances, whereas this is setting out to be an action movie that is also yes. a gangster movie. And I would say I think it is a rare example of a like pure action movie that is managing to become something a bit more than that. Like it isn't like the first one is kind of just an exhibition and look at all this punching and kicking and shooting. And this one, it's not the world's greatest <laughs> dramatic movie, but I do actually genuinely enjoy the tension of the dramatic plot 
on top of it. And, you know, it, it has its problems. I think Gareth Evans gets far more interested in Bangun and Ucho than he does in Rama and the main plot of the movie. Yeah, I think I think that's the main issue, is that so much of the main plot of this movie is based around characters who aren't the leads. Yeah. And at no point does the movie try and make you sympathise with them or understand them. Like, I sat there the entire time watching The Raid 2 and just kind of went like, Ucho's an idiot, Bangun is... <laughs> so clearly correct and (laughs) like the movie isn't asking you to sympathize with ucho but i think they give him a couple of moments you're like is this genuine is he actually like pleading with his father that he can fix it before he goes through with killing him but yeah for the most part ucho is just a pure straight up dickhead son bangun is like you know he's very stern and stubborn and you know the clear lack of emotional openness between the two is the cause of everything but he is right ucho is wrong and yet ucho burns everything down anyway (laughs) i fully understand everything you're saying for me this movie has higher highs and lower lows it's that cliche like there is honest to goodness acting in this one that there isn't in the first one and i think Mm. the sort of the plot characters of ucho bangan bejo uh bejo 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 and goto i think the four of them are genuinely giving really good acting performances here that like oh yeah Aikuwe is not capable of like I think that dude is shockingly good for a guy they plucked off the street as an actor but he doesn't have this kind of ability that these four do it's almost like that he's trying to make two movies at once and one is this staggeringly good martial arts action showcase and the other is this movie that like they needed more dramatic tools to play with for these four to bounce off and it's like if you'd made just this or just that you probably would have done a better job but yeah i don't quite mesh fully together where like ram will just melt into the background for half an hour at a time until it's time for him to be resurrected to do wanton acts of violence yeah and i the issues of the movie kind of stem from the top where the movie tries to shorthand all of the emotion by having bejo kill andy yes at the very top of the movie and they have that short narrative shorthand there to be the crux of Rama's emotional throughline for this movie. Yeah. And you think it's going to pay off at the very end of the movie, but it doesn't. Rama is there to beat up the three henchmen. Mm-hmm. And then he walks into a room and sees Ucho kill Bejo. And it's like, yeah. there we go. That's the end of the movie. It's like It kind what? of all is for nothing in many ways because Reza dies. He doesn't get his personal revenge on Bejo. Like, they have a kind of moment, he and Ucho, after, like, spending however much time together. But, like, yeah, a lot of what they were doing this for kind of melts away, and it becomes a completely different thing. And, like, I think the first act is really nailing what it's going for, and it is blending those two together. And then it just gets lost in the kind of gangster narrative where not enough focus is going to the right places. And then it has this staggeringly good, pure action, like, gauntlet for Rama at the end. But then it can't tie it together with a satisfying ending. Basically, this podcast and our discussions have talked me down off my uh, The Raid 2 (laughs) is the greatest thing ever pedestal. I watched the movie in kind of two chunks. I watched the first hour one night, and then I watched the second hour and a half the next morning. And I was sat there going, like, the first hour of this movie is really good it's like, so good it, it's Indian... probably the best hour we're gonna watch in any of these movies in my opinion probably i yeah. i can definitely stand by that yeah because it does a really good economic job of setting up all these new characters you yes. have stakes for rama and 
like the only thing that's a little bit weird is it kind of they bring back Yayan as Banger's most loyal, dedicated hitman. And I text you to say when me and my <laughs> friends saw this in the cinema, we were sat there going like, "What the fuck? Mad Dog survived the first movie." Like, yeah, I think everyone just has to get over it that Mad Dog has a doppelganger out there. I think they're banking on white people being like, "Ah, oh, they all look the same." But the thing is, he's such a distinctive-looking person, is, and obviously when. Csep Arif Rahman grows his hair out. They do look similar. So when it, when the cameo in John Wick three happens, yeah. it's like, oh, are they supposed to be twins or are they just supposed to be like? <laughs> right, that's the big thing here. And I have a question for you. Like Gareth Evans wanted to make the Road two. He couldn't get the money. He couldn't organize it. He made the Road one. Originally in the draft of this movie, there's no Rama. It's just a guy. I assume he's just a criminal, potentially one that is wrongly convicted and he's secretly nice, but whatever. I would imagine it was more to do with the fact that he is someone who is turned and rather than being a cop, is someone who they just kind of go like, right, we want you to get this information out of. Yeah, yeah. It was just a straightforward, just criminals out criminaling each other. Maybe he's still an informant. I don't know. But him being an undercover cop only comes about because they make the raid one. Do you feel that like, even though they made the raid one, and they do set up a couple of things for the Raid 2. Would this have been better if they'd just gone through with the original plan and just made the Raid 2 as a completely different movie that is not a sequel to the Raid 1, and then you get around, Rama is still Rama, but Mad Dog is a different person, and, and all of that, and, like, the first hour makes good on the promise of Rama being an undercover cop, and, like, mm. him, his conversation, you know, turning the music up in his luxury apartment and calling his wife and all of that. That's all really powerful stuff. I mean, and even, then even it just... down to him putting the bug into the wallet of, yeah. of Ucho. Yes. But then that all just fades away, and, like, he mentions his family, he pays lip service to it, but that entire motivation kind of just disintegrates after that first hour and stuff, and, like, it gets to the point of, like, what was the point in Rama even being an undercover cop? at this point like isn't this more now just a interpersonal drama yeah i do think it probably would be better if it wasn't a sequel to the raid but i also think that there's some fixes that you could do that just kind of tighten up the movie a little bit like as fun as the gauntlet is i don't think you need at the top of the second hour the big extended my main issue is there's kind of three almost redundant extended fight sequence in this movie and it's the Prakoso one it's the it's the one with hammer girl and it's the one with baseball bat guy the Prakoso one feels just like hey yeah yeah can you just show us what you do for a minute <laughs> yeah it is very much like i understand that you want it there to show the start of this gang war but it is like you could cut this quite a bit i i strongly disagree on the one that like the montage of the three henchmen i think that one is really good it's just that the one that is the most egregious to me is that entire car chase sequence mm. needed to be just bounced from the movie. They needed to find a way to get from Ucho executes Bangun straight to the restaurant at the end. And I think yeah, it's just, think... you knock out Rama, you take him prisoner and you lock him up in the warehouse and then he breaks free in there. But That that car chase sequence is so technically proficient. Like yes. the shot of, the shot where it starts inside one car, goes inside a different car, cuts through the window of the second car and yes. then to a third car is like how the fuck did you do this yes literally passing a camera between cars and stuff and like you know we talked about in uh, children of men how they, they do something similar but this is you know i've talked about it when we did secret agent men where like i know what i'm watching is objectively good but i have kind of tapped out a little bit at this stage so i'm not mm. here for it and that's how it feels with the car sequence but like the final gauntlet snaps me out of it a bit where like there just needs to be some trimming of some fat to sustain it, it struggles to sustain momentum because i don't think it follows that 
same structure of the first one where you had massive violence calm moment massive violence calm moment it's kind of like there'll be two fights in a row and then none for an hour and stuff like that part of my issue is the movie well after that terrific first hour where you've got several like really good fight sequences although i would also cut the porno fight scene <laughs> from this movie <laughs> I mean, it's it's not that long, but it's not that long, yeah. but it is one of those. I w- I actually would almost call that for me the way I wrote this was like Act One ends after he gets out of prison and makes the phone call, and Act Two is when he actually starts working for them. Yeah, and sure. I, and I think Act Two is where like you start to see the decline. And can we just talk about that first hour in depth, and like we can skim over the rest? Oh but, yeah, like, sure. I just think it's just so effective. Like it has like almost a cold open of like Deho executing Andy and like you know talking about how Tama knew his limitations and all of this I, and then, then Beho kind of pisses off for ages I love the line that Beho kind of says to him and just kind of goes does he say ig- like ig- ignore the man with the gun oh yeah don't pay attention to him and then he says it again when he walks right up on him but then like we have this extended sequence where like Rama has gone to Bunawa and he's brought in the lieutenant who they execute he's brought in Bowo who they're like I'll oh, take him away and treat him but then when they say there were no survivors it's like did they just execute Bowo as well but like this extended sequence where he's courting him and he's like look the evidence you gathered means nothing we have incredible police corruption happening we need you to catch I raise his hands in Bangun's pockets he says and like that's a really good line and like they want him to get close to Bangun's son Ucho he's gonna have to do a real crime to go into real prison to earn his trust it's remarkably similar to internal affairs and the departed <laughs> and in bed in his operation and he initially refuses he is fucking horrified that they've just executed this lieutenant after you know he worked so hard to bring him in and everything and it's this classic oh the evidence you got actually means nothing trope that you see in like tv shows and movie sequels and stuff where it's like they're working so hard to get this thing and it's a guaranteed win and then they later just go nah fuck that i just have a question do they did the actor who played the lieutenant die in between movies or did you just not want to come back because you don't see his face they just shoot him like kind of off camera not off camera i feel but, like, you, you do see, see him they just don't, you don't focus. see his face in, i think okay. They've just dressed some similar looking dude up in his costume, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. because obviously Bowell comes back yeah. for his like half scene. But for this guy, they just couldn't get the actor back. <laughs> and it's just really distracting that it's just like, yeah, we're I not going to I mean, would you sign face. up to have no lines and just get shot in the first two minutes? I mean, Andy did, so... <laughs> I guess I mean, that's the thing is they got two people back and it's like well why didn't why didn't you manage to come back I, ha- I have no idea but I, I really like the filmmaking this and this this whole sequence because you get a lot of transitions and fades and, and moves back and forward in time because we have Rama sitting on the toilet that is like shaking like the, the cubicle door and they'll keep moving between this and him getting like expositioned at by Bunawa and like they'll move between one conversation in, in one time to them talking at a police station later and I just think it's all like really effectively done and he initially says no and it is the whole well this is the guy that killed your brother and we see the little you know his father just weeping at the death of, of one of his sons and everything and that's what's convinced what convinces Rama to go through with it and he has his incredibly wistful goodbye with his wife like because you know she was pregnant in the first movie she has given birth but it's still a baby at this point and it's like you know i have to go do this to keep us safe because he's like you know oh they will find if they know that you survived that they will kill your family they will kill you so they have to make it look as though you know he wasn't involved and then to doubly go through with it they get him put in prison and it's like you know do enough to get put in prison don't do so much that you are like kept there and he he has to go beat up the son 
of a politician that got Ucho put in prison. Um, and the ultimate reveal that, like, six months has become a three-year sentence is so fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did, this whole setup is is really entertaining, and then to, like, cap it off with the prison fight, like, like, in the toilets where, like, you know, he keeps closing the door to trap people in there with him to keep the numbers limited, that they have to bottleneck themselves to get to him, but ultimately he ends up trapped and just beaten down in the toilet. So Yeah, I, I like how long it takes for you to find out why this fight scene happens. Exactly, like, yeah. Because <laughs> it's not until, like, the scene ends and you cut to the next day and Ucho comes over and he's just like, oh, I see you got yeah. welcomed. It's like, oh, that's just <laughs> what, this is what happens every... in prison. Yeah, you just get a beatdown on day one just to to establish the pecking order, yeah. Except he manages to beat up most of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and like this is the sequence where Rama is trying to earn his trust. I think he does a good job of playing hard to get here and, and pretending he doesn't know who Ucho is and isn't like immediately pouncing on him. And it's Ucho like asking Eka during visitation, like, can you look into this this Yuda person? Yudo is the name of the character in Marantu. And then this random criminal comes and sits by him and he's like, I've just made you by sitting with you and like there's no explanation about who this dude is you just take it he's some like mega criminal or whatever but and then learning that six months has become three years because like Bonawar is a dick right like <laughs> like he lies to him he manipulates him he's like oh you've just got to beat this guy up and it's but then it's like revealed that like yeah because you beat this specific person up you are not getting out early on good behavior <laughs> so. well, like, Bonawar just disappears from the movie yeah really like they have the conversation when he finally gets out of prison and he's in the room and then he's not in the movie again yeah and like they're trying so hard for this like gruff dickish detective who's all about the results that they just end up overshooting the mark and he just comes across as just an unnecessary asshole. Like, the complete lack of sympathy about the situation, and, like, we don't give a shit about Bangan, you're there to investigate Reza, who isn't in the fucking movie. I think they miss on that kind of stuff, and it's where the, like, policeman undercover thing starts to fall apart but i think rammer in prison is really effective like the mud brawl has a kind of sense of humor to it that mm. is not present in the first movie at all and it's i think it's throughout this whole movie that there is more of a cheekiness to it there's a, there's a confidence that comes with we know we've done this in the first one we've yeah. got f- like what five times as much money now yeah the budget is 4.5 versus 1.1 it somehow only made 6.6 which is weird because this one felt like an event whereas like i heard about the first one after it had come out and then i was like anticipating the second one but i guess it had a shorter tail or something they must have both made a shit ton of money on like i think i remember this movie was playing in not very many cinemas i also think it came out in 2014 and Mm. i think it came out quite close to movies like john wick and winter soldier because i definitely saw winter soldier and and dray 2 in the same cinema (laughs) but i just think it probably was hollywood at this point had kind of of t- learned some lessons from the raid and was starting yeah. to make its own responses at this point and i also think a lot of the raids tail life came from like midnight screenings and the f- and a fan build-up and yeah. it just i don't think it was there for this movie it's in the same way even though i did actively seek out going to see this one in the cinema and i, and I did too but yeah, i mean it, just it blows it, my it, mind whenever uh because this is the one that has the better reviews like this is the one that has all the pomposity about it like the greatest action movie ever like all this sort of stuff behind it and like a much bigger marketing push like i rem- 
remember all the standees of Rama standing there in his uniform with his gun and everything, which yeah, he I mean, never wears. So in in the UK, it made one point seven million dollars. It's the second biggest region for where it came out, behind only America. But obviously, one point seven versus three million yeah. in the US is like quite impressive. God, I barely saw any movies in twenty fourteen, but I saw most of like the top ten because <laughs> in the in the top ten at this point in the UK cinemas are Winter Soldier, Noah, Raid Two. Grand Budapest Hotel and the Lego Movie. I saw all but Noah. Did you follow Aronofsky to Noah? I did. Of course, I did. Of course, you did. But yeah, there there is that. I think you're right. That like the confidence is what leads to it because throughout this movie, there is more of an attempt to be funny and this this mud brawl. Like it still manages to be incredibly violent and chaotic and it's really well shot like they employ slow motion and all this sort of stuff really well but like there is a silliness to it as they're all just slipping all over the place and like just failing to fight in a in a pretty manner but yeah it's fun and like rama seeing it coming before it happens and removing the broom handle to save ucho from a stabbing and the the waves of guards i think are effective where like the, the alarm sounds they all come down giant prisoners versus guards fight the prisoners start to win it. Some of them try and climb over the fence and get sniped. And then here come the rest of the guards to completely fuck everyone up. And in amidst all this chaos and, and humour, there is a genuine tension when like Ucho gets knocked out and Rama notices and he's like, shit, I have to get to him or he is dead. Um, mm. I think all of this works. And like right up to him getting out of prison and like being courted into Bangun's operation and like having to strip off in front of him. And like, you know, he dumps his wire immediately. And it is like, you know, if he'd followed um Bonoir's orders he would have immediately gotten killed <laughs> because the first thing they do is like okay now take off your fucking clothes and there's some humor to this as well because like you know they turn the camera around and like there are glass doors to this fucking office and there's a secretary and an assistant just standing there while Rama is like naked in this office <laughs> and yeah there's tension and it reminds me exactly of like the scene in The Departed where Leo freaks out and is like I'm not fucking doing this no wires you take my lead on this um, because they basically in not so many words are like yeah if you bring a wire you're fucked and then the luxury apartment and calling his wife and Eka says the thing about we come from the same place you and me which will pay off and yeah I think up until this scene everything from the beginning until here works incredibly well and I'm like fuck they have really crafted an actually good police undercover in the mob drama and then it starts to get wobbly in the second act. <laughs> yeah. This first hour is a lot of stuff that I remember. Like, for whatever reason, I think it's because it's in the trailer, one of the things that's most vivid to me is Rama in prison practicing his punches oh, on yeah. <laughs> the chalk outline. The old boy scene. <laughs> yes. I mean, again, I, I do think... I would like to sit down with Gareth Evans and ask him whether or not Old Boy is a particularly influential movie. It must for be. Him. I mean, the Hammer, the entire like Hammer fighting style, and like just some of the composition of stuff that's in yeah. Always and and this sequence right now. I feel I he think... basically took Old Boy and Infernal Affairs, not The Departed, the Infer- Infernal Affairs, and and threw some salat on the top of it, and that was yes, what he I wanted d- to make. That feels very much like the thing. I think he lacks the poetical sense of style that Park Chan Wook has mm-hmm. in in his trilogy, and I think my opinion on this is closer to Infernal Affairs in that I watched the Western remake and i know there are people out there that are just like oh infernal affairs is so much better than mm. the departed we, we yeah we talked about this on there will be movies i i think that's that's just wrong i i think it does certain things better but for the most part like 
you can't fuck with like Jack Nicholson and and Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon like just flexing all over the goddamn place. And just Martin Scorsese behind the camera. Oh yeah, and, and like the music and the style, like yeah, that is all beautifully done. Yeah, I don't know how much of it is people who have a predilection for an Asian style because I do think there is a particular style of filmmaking that is popular in Asia that is a little bit more lyrical and. Like, there's a lot of shorthand that goes on yes. in, in Asian cinema that is becoming less and less present in Western movies, where we'll maybe spend a bit too much time explaining all the machinations behind something. Yeah. Whereas an Asian movie, just got, this one line's enough. We can move on from whatever fucking yeah. <laughs> motivations we need in this scene. Yeah, we're, we're here to get to an end point, and I think far too many films are bad at not trying to take the shortest possible route to that end point. And yes. I, I, it's packed in with my whole thing about almost every movie is too long. I think I think directors get too close to like a scene that they're really proud of and they're not thinking big picture about like how do I make this a tighter more enjoyable experience and you know I I understand it like if you pour over something for however long like you don't want to just cut an entire scene but sometimes you have to you have to and like I can't sit here and tell you Mission Impossible Fallout is too long and then tell you the Raid 2 is perfect at the almost exact same length but that would be wrong of me and this movie I could easily tell you which 20 to 30 minutes you need to lose The thing with this movie is, either they needed to bump up some of the emotional weight of the second era of the movie, which I'm not sure how you achieve other than the fact that like, you head into Act 2 and the movie makes a very concerted effort to go, right, here are four henchmen who we haven't mentioned beforehand, but they're all going to be incredibly important players mm. into how the rest of this movie is going to function. And you get Procoso, the Assassin, Hammer Girl, and Baseball Batman, all of whom are incredibly mm. proficient and energetic and incredible to watch. I do really like that montage of the three henchmen being deployed when they decide to kick the war off. Like, It's just that there's so much other stuff happening that it I feel it comes a bit too late in some ways and like because yeah, I mean I think... they kind of do it with Mad Dog in the first one where like he gets his big scene halfway through and that establishes him whereas with this it's like two thirds of the way through and there's more of them so you're splitting focus between them and that kind of stuff um... it reminded me of a very similar montage in John Wick 2 mm-hmm. which is one I think is more effective in achieving what it sets out to do I don't know, man. Julia Estelle is a fucking powerhouse of physical presence. Oh, she absolutely is. I just think that the kind of non-linear montage in John Wick 2, again, but that's because that's more focused on impressing us with how good John Wick is. Mm -hmm. Whereas all three of these are doing three separate things, which is like, this is how good Hammer Girl is. This is how good Baseball Batman is. This is how good the Assassin is. But the Assassin has technically already been set up because... Yes, his. I think his killing of Koso would have been more than enough because like, yeah, like in this second act, like you see Ucho and, and Eka and Rama like going around being Bangun's enforcers and like, you know, collecting money from like a fucking porno dude. Uh, that guy's got some real good energy, by the way, when he like tosses the money across the table and all that sort of stuff. But then like, you know, you establish this Koso character, uh, played by Yayan again, who is clearly an old friend of Banga, and Beho and Ucho have concocted a secret conspiracy between them, wherein Ucho is desperate to do more in his father's empire and become a boss and Bangan is like nah now isn't the time they construct this idea where they will start a war between the Indonesian and the Japanese, who you know Bangan and Goto are like firm friends, happily at peace no violence in ten years 
And the way they plan to kick the war off is to kill Koso and, and make it look as though it was done by the Japanese. I think Yayan is actually really good here as Koso, but like he probably didn't need an extended fight scene in the club. Like I think his first scene where like they have tea in his apartment and then he's eating on the street and there's a little dog and symbolism and I understand. And I like the touch that like he's got this giant fucking machete and he fucks up all of these dudes, but he doesn't touch any of them with the machete except the guy he was contracted to kill. And I think that's a really good scene and like him with his ex-wife and everything I think is really heartbreaking and like he is impressively small and pathetic here after being just such a towering force of evil as Mad Dog and then he has his warmth to him in the club when he's telling Ucho like oh no your father is like you know a good man and you one day will be great and then they have to give him like a 20 like a 10 minute fight scene where he fucks everyone up in this club and it's like I am here to watch Yayan fight people but like it is probably at the detriment of the movie. But I do think it culminates in a nice way where, like, he dies in the snow at the hands of the assassin and the music swells and he is just standing across the street from him and then he carves him up with those little hooked blades and everything. And The thing is, you could achieve the same thing. And I know it would be sacrilege to kind of cut most of this, but you yeah. see him waking up from his little trance and the dance floor being completely empty and mm -hmm. all the guys rushing in and then you just hard cut to him, him. coming out into the snow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree and I, I think i think that is probably the thing gareth has such a like i feel he really feels he needs to show off how good these guys are at what they do to give them their creative freedom at the expense of the movie he is trying to make which at times he is making really well and i do agree that like you know that scene where like the club almost clears out in a second if you'd hard cut to him spilling out into the alleyway covered in blood but having survived and then the assassin murders him i think that would have been really effective and i think you could have cut the assassin's little scene later on yeah his his little his scene one is, is the most because like, it's like it's the one that's cutting through the the kind of the field and, and like, then that it, shot is in the trailer and like yeah it's a good shot but like you know you don't but have it's to... yeah and then just kind of it pans to the right and he's just punching this guy and then yeah. it ends in a very similar way to the scene with andy earlier and it's a more effective payoff for the other two i i would also rather hammer girl and baseball bat guy be in the same scene and watch them interacting with each other because mm. like, like also... that they work as a team which is why they yes. fight rama as a team yeah i I could see that. And I kind of like that... So this is their grand plan, is kill Koso, one of Bangun's oldest friends. And instead of making it start a war... Bangun is almost just more, like, depressed by it, and he's just like, mm. oh, that's so sad, my friend is dead. Oh, well. And then the Ucha's like, yeah, right, fuck it. Deploy everyone. And Because he can tell that something fishy's there. Yeah. He's like, why would they do this? And he's also like, I mean, I'm not being funny, but Koso has made enemies all over Asia. Like, he's like, could have been the fucking Chinese. Like, And he doesn't find it a, a like, a direct attack by the Japanese and yeah and then they get sloppy and Ucho's like yeah fuck it start a war and baseball Batman I know they can't contractually call him Batman but come on <laughs> him asking for his ball back is such a fucking power move after he fucking kills a guy from across the room with it and then like when the guy throws it away and he's like oh you shouldn't have done that that's fun but for me, Julia Stell is such a breakout actress here. She was, like, one of the highest paid actresses in Indonesia by, like, age 20. She was a model, she'd been in TV, all of this. But since The Raid 2, she has had all of these roles as these hyper-violent characters in martial arts movies, and she's really fucking good at it. Headshot and The Night Comes For Us are not as good as The Raid. I think they do certain things better. I don't know if you've seen either of them. I would recommend particularly The Night Comes For Us, but, like, her scenes in both 
of those movies are fucking fantastic and she has this great physical presence where like she had no martial arts training you know she's got these little prop hammers but like she, even just stuff like her standing there while everyone like runs away off this train carriage around her she is so imposing and like mm. has just there's just an x factor to that where some people are good at that and some people aren't she is the physical presence that i remember more than anyone like obviously i remember the scene with the assassin in the kitchen but <laughs> this this fight scene on the train is probably one of the more indelible moments that's imprinted on my brain from this watching it in the cinema because yeah. it's so much more impressive than the baseball scene just in a technical proficient way i do think it is the scene in the movie that does over rely on the gore a bit too much yeah they're like claw hammers ripping people's throats out is a bit much i kind of wish she it's, just it's, hit them with them but, yeah, it's, yeah it's the throat rip it's the spine drag it's the <laughs> up through the jaw and it's just there's so much of it and it's just yeah. like i understand you want to show just how dangerous it is to use this but mm. then it's kind of undercut by when she just kind of like does a drum beat on their chest and just lots of little red spots arrive and you're like <laughs> i didn't need those to tell me that being hit by a hammer in the chest might cause some blood yeah yeah so they've deployed these people to take out presumably high profile figures rama gets attacked himself he survives it he super fucking maims a cop like burns his entire side of face off he has a hole where his ear used to be like he's always done violence but like this is like whoa (laughs) it's one of Reza's cops though so it's fine yes of course yes them all like frantically stabbing through the windows of the taxi is so kind of weirdly funny in a way I'm not sure it was intended to be but like just a comical number of knives trying to stab at him he based it on what is allegedly a true story that like this happened to someone but yeah he meditates afterwards and he has to like self-medicate himself and he calls Bangun again and it's like either Eka calls him back on his police sim or he's given up on swapping between them because he definitely doesn't swap his sims over between his conversation with Bangun and Eka calling him so I don't know if this is foreshadowing that Eka knows he's a cop or what or the movie didn't think that far ahead they have a peace talk it is mediated by the Chinese so we have three languages four languages flying around here because at some point Ucho says fuck it and starts talking to uh, Goto's henchman in English and it's like, oh, fuck, <laughs> English, what's happening? Bango just takes full responsibility, even though he knows it wasn't his fault, and, like, they all make good, and then Bango beats the shit out of Ucho, and it's kind of satisfying, just watching him just slap him about and everything, and Ucho just yelling, like, fuck, like, stop hitting me. He kills his father, Beho makes his move, the assassin fucks up Rama, as is tradition, he must win the first round. Another unintentionally hilarious moment, when Rama bursts in and tells Eka to run after he's like just been <laughs> shot in the leg. I, like, I don't know if they were going for a joke there, but I know I laugh my ass off every time it happens. And then yeah, we get that big car chase that like this is this is the stretch of the movie where it's still it feels like it's starting to overstay its welcome, that it's kind of a relentless assault of action. And that's the thing, I feel a lot of action movies try for most action, not best action. And that is where the first one I think really works, because all of the individual fights in the first one for the most part i think can't compete with most of the ones in this but i think the way they're deployed so sparingly kind of makes it come across as a better 
pure action piece than this one does. Even if, if you just what, pull up some of these fights on YouTube, they are just objectively amazing. Again, it's it's my issue with John Wick 3, which is they have gotten so good at this, but dear lord, you could condense some of these action set pieces down by about five minutes. And... <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen John Wick 1 in ages. I've seen John Wick 2 quite a bit, and I like it a lot, but it's been a while. John Wick 3 I watched recently, and like I, I feel I 100% agree with you, but we'll see what happens there. But just one too many, and like you, I, I 100% wish they just knocked Rama out and he wakes up tied to a chair in the warehouse for Act 3 um, instead of this whole car chase. And like they have to reveal that Eka was an undercover cop as well. And Bunuwa just doesn't give a shit about him. He's like, oh, that piece of shit. And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, who are you? Yeah, and it, I think it's here that I don't like the car chase is good. And it's obviously yeah. Gareth Evans is sat there going, like, I really want to do a car chase. I really want to do. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it feels like that where it's like, we haven't done one of these. Let's do one of these. <laughs> this is the one that feels the most like a John Wick scene of all the movies. Like, if we're going to directly compare and contrast, it feels so much like a John Wick fight scene, right down to the scene where the guy on the motorcycle with his helmet and then. <laughs> yeah. It is Ecker who just unloads like a submachine gun directly into, into his, his skull. face through the visor? Yes, <laughs> I, that feels very John Wicky. It does. When you watch yeah. it. My hot read before rewatching the John Wicks is they surpass the raid in terms of the gunplay and the like vehicle type stuff, but they yes. can't match them on the like martial arts proficiency side. No, but we're we're gonna we're gonna jump from the raid, which was made for four point five million dollars, to John Wick, which was made for God. I mean, even even Keanu Reeves alone is going to be commanding more than the budget for these movies. Yeah, the yep. budget for the first raid is twenty to thirty million dollars. And the first, I would say, the first raid or raid two arguably looks better than John Wick one does. Yeah, it's really well shot. That shouldn't be lost in all of this. Is that Gareth Evans is directing the fuck out of it? Like it does look impressively good for something so cheap. Yes, it's obviously not going to compete with like your powerhouses of directing. Like he's not a Scorsese or anything like that. But like for the budget they're on, he clearly knows his shit and, and is is executing. And I would actually be curious to see what he could do with an enormous budget. And that's why I was actually quite hyped for him to do uh, a Deathstroke movie for DC. Like to see him play with superhero money and deliver something that looks even vaguely like this, but yeah, pretty, that would have been really cool, I think. I am sad that it's DC that have been courting him, and I wonder if that <laughs> is because you look at these movies, and he is someone who writes, directs, edits... Yes. Everything like that. And I can imagine someone at Marvel going like No, you don't you don't have final edit, you do not have final script. Like, yeah. <laughs> Cause like even Black Panther, like they they put someone on that with Ryan Kugler. And also I think DC generally have attempted to go out and get filmmakers in a way that Marvel feel like they've gone and got people who play ball and like people from TV and stuff, people who are gonna deliver on time. And they, they seem to be moving away from that. But yeah, DC seemed to have been going after these like people to make Make the movie they want to make a bit more sometimes to a detriment but let's talk about this third act this this giant cacophony of relentless violence because for as much as the plot of this film and the ambition of what they want this film to be is falling apart because here's Razor for the first time in an hour and a half don't worry he'll be dead soon this is <laughs> yes all of that has completely fallen apart by this stage and like you know the reveal that like 
the guys that tried to kill Ucho in prison, and he, he, Beho gave Ucho them as a peace offering, and he executed them all with a little craft knife. They all worked for him, because he has the same tattoo as they had, and all of this. Like, okay, I guess, but, like, you kind of haven't really delivered enough on this whole plotline to make that as meaningful as you want it to be. The fact that this entire stretch relies on Ucho having a realisation that is never <laughs> verbalised and just kind of ends in gore and... Yeah doesn't involve Rama does undercut an awful lot of what's going on like I think there are ways that you could tie this thematically into Rama going I'm done at the end of the movie where it's Mm. like he tries to prevent all this from happening and ending in this like Mexican standoff but (laughs) he's too busy fighting the three henchmen that he actually misses the climax of the movie he does and like the reason he agreed to do this was to get his revenge on revenge on Beto and like you know maybe on some level oh I dismantled his operation by killing all of his people I guess, but like, I feel he was destined for that final confrontation, and he never is in the same fucking room with him properly. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I kind of wish there was more after the no, I'm done, because it feels like there is a final thematic bow to be tied on the movie, and it's, sort of based around the fact that, like, Banawar kind of goes like, well, Rez is dead, all the mob people are dead, there's now a power vacuum, so The commissioner died, by the by, just in the background. (laughs) Someone murdered the police commissioner in a restaurant. Yeah, and him just kind of going like, well, because we didn't get Reza, someone else is just going to take his position in the police, and... Goto's going to take over Bangan's mob territory. So really nothing actually has happened to, to change anything at the end of this movie. No. <laughs> and, and it's I think... where, like, if it were a pure crime movie, it probably would have worked better because it's like, you know, it's a never-ending cycle of crime, but there's no neat bow on the police side of it in any way mm. or the personal revenge story either. So despite but all of that God, melting these away... Three fi- <laughs> these three fight scenes are so good. <laughs> yeah. Rama on the phone, like, look... Are my family safe? Cool. Keep them away that. Keep them that way, no matter what. And then he just ram raids his car into the warehouse. So he has this one versus many fight where he just fucks up all these henchmen and he's throwing that pallet and those water bottles and that's all hilarious. But then there's also all this like the rapid fire like rabbit punches and kicking people into railings and and balconies and bouncing off cars and concrete ledges and stuff. And there's just a speed and a fury to this that is really impressive. There is a lot of 20 dudes standing there going, oh, what's happening? While they watch one of them take him on at a time but you know we can overlook this this it's it's, it is the water coolers that really gets me (laughs) in this thing because he picked up like three of them and just throws them across the room and the fight's happening elsewhere and then they cut across the guys and they're just rolling around on the floor like they're being hit by the heaviest fucking thing in the world i try not to react to the people in the backgrounds of these kinds of fights because they always just look like dickheads as they're just like (laughs) trying to come up with a justification why they're not just dogpiling (laughs) that one is it's a good little appetizer they move on to Rama versus Hammergirl and I'm just going to call him Batman in the hallway. <laughs> a nice little piece of physical comedy just before this. Beho is told, hey, Rama's downstairs, he's coming up. And then he, t- he orders his three people to go get him. And Batman has to drag Hammergirl away because she's deaf. Because the two of them, they communicate in sign language. It's a good little villain gimmick hook, like shorthand. Like, oh, look at this unusual person. And she has to grab her hammers as he drags her away. I like that little moment. But yeah, they have this giant fucking fight. And it's very violent. I like that Rama kind of like uses the tightness of the corridor against them. Because Batman has to take these big fucking swings with his bat. 
and she's swinging her big hammers and I feel he's using the tightness of the space against them. It's this other thing, like like I said with the first episode, like I feel people that fight unarmed do better against him because he's able to use their weapons against them and he does ultimately kill all three of these people with their own weapon. Uh, the, the bat hammer, to the face. <laughs> the bat to the face is so good because it uses a very similar shot from in the first movie. Yeah. But it's the way that the camera Spins. swings around after he whacks him in the face and then cuts back and then the bat is just Embedded in his face, yeah. And then he falls on. Oh, it's so fucking gross. It is. But it's really good. Hat off to Julia Stell for, like, not looking like out of place in this movie full of, like, legit badass martial artists. There's a lot of economic storytelling in character backgrounds that Mm. I wish paid off more like mm. i do like the little touch of her being deaf and obviously something happened to her in her past like yes and like, she's got one eye like did she get burnt with acid or some shit and it fucked up her hearing or an explosion or I, who fucking knows but it feels like the kind of thing that if it was made by a studio with money that there would be a quick flashback not a quick flashback but like a comic book would come out oh okay yeah and that would like, i think there are the comic books but they were like only released in indonesia or something I, I don't oh know. fair enough yeah i don't know i doubt they delve into Hammer Girl's backstory though. Really good. And then the main fucking event. Rama versus the assassin in the kitchen. Like everyone leaving, like just sort of like oh, off we go. This happens is, all the time. And then like Is a this slow the best build. fight in the franchise? Probably. I think this is one of the most impressive showcases of martial art ever put to film. Just look at these two fucking masters of the craft going at it. It probably doesn't have the kind of emotional hooks that some other scenes have. But in terms of just pure watch these two people fight, this is about as good as it gets yeah. for me. How about you? It's really good. Like, obviously, it's it's super fantastic. And, I mean, there's a reason why this is the third of the trio who mm. ends up in Star Wars, who yeah. ends up in John Wick 3. Because yeah. he probably is the third best fighter. It's just a shame that it takes so long for him to get his proper show- I mean, showcase. I have nothing to back this up, but I feel what I heard is that Chechep is actually, like, the best martial artist of all three of them. I, I really can't back that up, but, like, clearly, like, this dude is really fucking good, and he presumably can't act, because, like, he doesn't talk. <laughs> and he, I'm sure he has talked in a movie, but, like, he is not here for that. He is here just to be a martial artist, and, like, it's so fucking extra. It is like the Jacker and Mad Dog fight, where, like, there is this slow build-up, and they stand, they, they, they take stance, and they really, like, position themselves, and they do this ridiculous, like, shuffling of the feet to, like, get but optimum I've seen, position. I've seen that clip so often mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to like set up videos of people going like here's just good fight scenes in movies yeah. and yeah. and i wish the movie didn't kind of feel like i would get as much out of it as if i just googled my favorite fight scenes out of it that's the thing it feels like he's trying to make his big gangster crime epic and then he's he feels indebted to throw in these fight scenes and they kind of just feel separate to the narrative in a way that they don't with the first one, where it's like, this is about survival, and like this is a character you must survive. This just feels like they're having this fight while the plot's happening in the other room. Yes. None of the martial <laughs> artists can act, and so we've hired <laughs> actors who will hang out over here whilst... Yeah. Was the shooty bang men fight in the kitchen yeah yeah and but that's that's the stuff that you're there to pay for him inviting the combat him having his little smirks like he looks down at his foot like right go for my leg next and he does go for his leg and he it, like i feel the assassin wins every exchange but then they get into it a bit more but like yeah there's this kind of smirk on his face as he keeps inviting him back they just about restrain themselves from doing the matrix like bring it little hand gesture <laughs> 
that Morpheus and Neo both do, but such a build and then just sustained violence between the two of them and it just getting increasingly more violent. They're throwing each other through glass and he pulls out his little hook weapons and they're just cutting each other constantly and it's this really furious attempt like to survive these little things that he's established he uses so well. And then when Rama finally gets one off him, the tide turns, and I kind of wish we still had Shinoda here, because it feels like it's supposed to be evocative of when they turn the tide on Mad Dog in the first one. And the music is good here, but, like, I wish we had that even bigger Mm. swell of music. But, yeah, like, and then him dissecting him with it, like, cutting all of his arms and then, like, cutting his, his throat and pulling him towards him and just collapsing against each other. And when I saw this in the cinema, there was applause after this fight ended. And, like, you know, I don't want to get too into the whole, like, oh, everyone everyone clapped. But, like, you know, it's a fun little moment that, like, I know wouldn't have happened everywhere. And, like, yeah, just it, it's just kind of staggering to see these two go at it. And, like, it is probably the, like, technical achievement of Gareth Evans's career and, like, what this was all about in a lot of ways. And, you know, they had the choreography in place for this movie before they even made the Raid 1. They opted to keep it in place and come up with new stuff for the raid one for this to be the final fight like to know they were building towards this all these years and there's there's just little bits and pieces like would it be more effective if the assassin and Procoso had a one-on-one fight similar to jacka and mad dog in the first movie that like even if they're playing separate characters we know what yayan can do physically if you've seen the first raid movie so would it be better if his death was solely at the hands of one person rather than Mm. him having to wade through a room of 50 people and then the being assassin injured. just murders him immediately <laughs> yeah. yeah like yeah i i do like the idea of it going straight from him phasing out in the club to like staggering out into the uh, into the snow but then yeah i to pretty much just replicate that jacker and and uh, mad dog fight probably also would have been really effective because you know for as good as chechep is it's kind of like he doesn't fully unleash until the end and he has to he can't beat rama so it kind of probably would have been cool to see him just completely dominate a fight that lasts longer than 10 seconds, you know? <laughs> but yeah, in- insane. The fact that both these movies are on Netflix and quite easily accessible means that I am likely, if I'm just in the mood for some hyper-violence, I am... <laughs> as we all are, as psychopaths. <laughs> I am no, probably no, I more am. likely to find this than... Like, there are certain fight sequences that just kind of have a visceral thrill to them, and they're increasingly rare as we move away into these kinds of movies being squarely aimed at a kind of PG-13, 12A audience where they do things to minimise how violent they are. Like, we're going to not shoot coverage and so every time they punch there's a cut and you're moving back into, like, Bourne-style editing to lighten (laughs) some of the brutality of how they're doing these fight sequences. And it's why sometimes Marvel fight scenes can feel less... I feel too brutal and yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is, like, very clearly, like, this is them, they know what they're doing... There are no doubles here. We're keeping the fakery to a minimum. Obviously, they're not fully connecting, but, like, I think the way they did this, they just practiced it to the point where, like, there's, like, a whole thing where they said they had to build trust so that if one of them accidentally hit each other, they wouldn't feel the need to hit them back. They would just keep going with the sequence, and, like, it is so hyper-choreographed. And there's, like, a weird, quick moment where Chechep gets, like... He, like, hits him in the stomach and he bends over and then he hits him in the face and he snaps back and there's something funky going on there with the editing. But, like, for the most part, it's just like, look, these people know what the fuck they're doing. Watch them yeah, go. they've probably staged it so well that if they just do another take, they can probably relatively seamlessly yeah. cut to another 
I own this movie on Blu-ray. I'm sure all of the stuff is on YouTube. If you can, just like pull up any of the stuff of them going through the choreography because it is just fascinating to watch them conceive these fights and like showing off some basic stuff and like increasing the speed, like doing it super slow motion and then doing it like disgustingly fast and like how good you must have to be to be able to confidently do that with each other. The one thing I do want to have a little mini complaint about is there's a bit too much slow-mo. Uh, well, like when he gets cut in the cheek and he's like, oh. Just, just like the movie tends to kind of, the way slow it mo shows equals off, high art. <laughs> yeah, slow-mo equals high art and slow-mo equals we're showing the impact more yeah. than anything. And yeah. it's good in small doses, but this is getting erringly close to Zack Snyder levels of <laughs> <laughs> we're going to yeah. do slow-mo now. I don't think it ever gets as bad as Zack Snyder at his worst. No. But I think he it, uses it really well in that mud fight, like the rain slowly dropping down and everything and him slowly falling back into the mud to kick the thing off. But then, yeah, it does get a bit much towards the end. And then the movie ends because everyone murders each other and we have this great gross fucking Beho's face exploding when Ucho shoots him with the shotgun right in the face and his shoulder is all like torn apart first and I do like the quick moment where Beho tries to toss Razor a gun and Ucho just steps in between and takes it and kills Razor just for no real fucking reason other than like he was rude to him a minute ago but yeah I, that, that's the thing is like Ucho having all of this comic payoff and killing off the two main villains I guess is what you'd call them <laughs> I suppose yeah Again, that's the thing, is there's no... You're not really sure. And obviously everyone in this movie is bad, and... <laughs> including Rama, man. Yeah, including Rama. It's too messy, it's, it's fallen apart, and, like, I do kind of, like, the last moment between Rama and Ucho, because, like, for better or worse, they've spent all this time together, and, like, I don't know the degree to which Rama was actually trying to look out for Ucho's best interests in the scenes in the second act, but there is a sense of there was a relationship here, and, like, it's over now, and they die, like... Like, you know, Ucho dies, like, in his arms almost. Um, but then it's too little too late, and, like, the motivations have all just faded away at this point. And, like, yeah. having Razor do... die, and, like, what are we doing now? Like, who are we... Perp- what, why did this man go to prison for two years and have to do all of this shit, like, in the end? Like, for nothing, really? Yeah, that's, that's the main issue, is the movie loses the thread on Rama as anything but a human wrecking ball of mm. pure emotion. And mm. I'm not saying that the movie needed to go and kill his wife and kid because oh, God Benjamin. <laughs> no, I, I don't I don't want that to happen. No, but no, that's I, the kind I, of I, thing I like because when Ucho finds the the wire in his wallet, he immediately thinks <laughs> that it's that it's Beho and and Reza I, that have like I do him. like the social commentary that someone like Ucho reaches into his wallet so infrequently that it <laughs> takes him all that time to find it in his wallet. Like when Rama plants it in the in the karaoke club after Ucho tries to like molest a girl with a microphone like a lot of fucked up shit happening there and he just puts it in his wallet I was like you're not good at this Rama <laughs> but then yeah to be fair to him I have not <laughs> looked into the cash part of my wallet in about three months now we've been on lockdown for two of those months but <laughs> I mean, I just use my card if I'm going. Yeah, I, no, I, I I understand, but yeah, I I do think it whether it's intentional or not. The idea that like he's so rich, he never actually has to open his wallet is kind of uh... yeah. Runs into the Japanese outside the building, and then what do you think Someone's... of the like silent offer? Like, because they're like they're clearly talking, but we're hearing absolutely nothing. And then mm. he breaks the silence by saying, "No, I'm done." And then we cut to black. What do you think of that? I think it's interesting. I would rather hear what the offer is. Join us, be our enforcer, or whatever, or like. I don't know, yeah. It, it's a shame that it kind of can't quite keep it all together. And, like, 
I feel we've spent more time criticising it than praising it in the last hour or so, but, like, there is just something about this that, like, I remember the exhilaration of seeing it in the cinema, like, seeing these huge extra fight scenes and seeing that they'd taken a very simple thing of, like, many cops trying to survive Tower Heist and, turn like, made their own internal affairs old boy type thing out of it and thinking, wow, look at this go, it's actually, like, a big serious film and then, like, I watch it again and I'm like, okay, yeah, like, it doesn't quite achieve either of the things it's going for and it's that, it's like, I feel so many movies do this where, like, they have two good ideas and by trying to do them both, it compromises them both whereas if you just focused on one, you probably had something here because, again, I think those four big dramatic actors are shocking good for a movie like this and it's like you know you can tell who the like full-time actors are and who are the martial artists who happen to be able to convey anything approaching emotion there is just like that sentimental attachment to it for me where like i remember just sitting there just grinning watching all of this and seeing how high it can get but i think i objectively recognize the raid one is just a better piece of filmmaking in terms of like achieving its aims and like yes i and i think that's what and i'm not going to begrudge anyone for saying that the raid two is better i think i think i think the raid one is better ben i'm sorry (sighs) i I, we've talked it out and i think the raid one is better i think it i think the raid two has higher highs and lower lows and it doesn't achieve what it's aiming for as much as the raid one does and i i can't not reward focus and tightness and achieving what you set out to do so for those reasons i'm willing to concede the raid one is better than the raid two even if thank you i as you said will pull up this kitchen fight scene or like the mud fight or something just for like the shits and giggles factor more than i probably will anything from the raid one yeah i i could 100 see somewhere like a little lo- local independent cinema doing a raid one and raid two marathon mm-hmm. and me going there and just grinning like mad and somehow getting back to the the feeling of watching this in a cinema and yeah. maybe feeling more generous and going back up to four stars for it but yeah I, th- I think it was a great audience experience for me as well because everyone's like oh shit when like the crazy stuff would happen and it is and like, yeah i think that's <laughs> that's what makes some cinematic experiences so special is you're watching it in an audience and everyone's experiencing it at the same time whereas i was watching it over two sessions mm. in my living room like half of it in the morning so i like, happened to like shield the screen from from sunlight and whatnot yeah. and i was not watching it in ideal conditions but it did let me focus more on the narrative stuff that the movie's attempting rather than the spectacle of it all. But the spectacle of it all is so tremendous. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing. It is such a spectacle. It's it's ridiculous in what it is, uh, but mostly in a good way. Yeah, that like that factor is probably bumping it up slightly in my like personal bias rankings or whatever. But like, if I put my serious film critic hat on, which we're obviously doing for a podcast called uh, Kiki Punchy Men, I think the first one just it achieves its goals better. Yeah. Do you want to do, do top three fights so, again? I, I, I mean, yeah. I feel there's, there's one that stands above all. And yeah, it's, it's like, the kitchen fight a number one. I really quite like the mud fight for as not like it's not the same kind of thing. Like it's not a tightly choreographed fight scene, but there's just something about it that like I find impressive in terms yeah, of that's, filmmaking. That's my number two or number three, and then Hammer Girl on the Subway. Yes, is probably for sure rounding off that top three. Yeah, and if you can force yourself to sit through the parts of it that aren't as good, please watch 
one or both of Headshot and uh, The Night Comes For Us. In fact, just skip to Julia Stell's big fight scene in Headshot, because she's so fucking good. She wears a purple bandana over her face. She's very cool. I have time during all of this that I can probably do that, yeah. although... I, 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 I think Headshot is a weird movie that, like, takes too long to become what you're expecting of it, but has some really cool little fight scenes, and I think The Night Comes For Us is actually really good as a movie. So I think I, I think they're both on Netflix. And there's a weird twist of fate where Aiko Uwe is the villain of The Night Comes For Us. After seeing him be nothing but just boring good guy, to see him try and uh, pull that off is interesting. <laughs> Those are the three, I would say. Would you say The Kitchen Fight is better than Jacko vs. Mad Dog? I would. Yeah, okay. We'll try and keep a running tally of all of the I mean, I think across I know, the series. I think I know what my favourite set piece from all of these movies is, and it's not from either of these two. Is it common against Keanu Reeves in, in broad daylight? It's not, although that is one of my favourite <laughs> set pieces. That's pretty fun. Is it John Wick versus the Raid Boys in John Wick 3? It isn't that one either. Okay. There's no point guessing, because we're going to cover all of these. Uh, starting from the next episode, we will get into John Wick. And I really look forward to it. I haven't seen that first one in a while. But this has been The Raid 2. This has been both Raid movies. Massive influence on what we'll be talking about next time. Thank you, Ben. You didn't make The Raid 1 or 2, but thank you for this podcast. Yeah, I, I gifted this upon to you. <laughs> Kind of, or alternatively, tricked me into not letting us cover it. Although, now we've had this discussion, you were right all along, as you always are, in that we <laughs> should have covered the Raid 1 if we were going to cover one of them, and we probably shouldn't have covered either of them <laughs> for there will be movies. One day I'll prove Ben wrong. That day has not come today. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. I do, I do. And how many people sick a hole in the